What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the DNVR Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Spano. I am so excited to do another week of podcasts for you guys. If you notice, we didn't do one on Friday. We're not doing Fridays, but we are doing Monday through Thursday. I've got a bunch of different hosts. uh, I'm sorry, I have a bunch of different guests lined up. And I'm really excited to get into this. Uh, We have some amazing guests this week. We've got Yu Chang Cheng, the CEO and president of Top Golf Media. We've got Ryan Harris, Super Bowl 50 champion. Uh, We've got Lindsey Sauer, our sales director here at DNVR, who, you know, for my, in my opinion, is the best media salesperson that I've ever seen, ever. And I was a pretty good media salesperson myself. And so it's going to be an awesome week of shows. Let's jump right into it. Uh, We're going to go right to Ryan Harris today. Uh, Really awesome, awesome guy. Great guy. Another independent thinker. Love independent thinkers. Another book guy. Me and him share books. And he's actually given me some great books. I've given him some great books. So you know, love, love book buddies. I know I've, I've said that no one's taken me up. My DMs are packed, but none of it's about books. Get better. Also, before we jump into this, guys, hey, you know, I'm putting a lot of work into this pod. I would love if you could give me a five-star rating and a review or even just a five-star rating. That really helps out the pod. So if you could do that, that would be awesome. Let's jump right into it. Let's go to the book here. Uh, I'm reading Charlie Munger, The Complete Investor right now. Uh, I'm really trying to diversify my expertise and what's really cool about that is uh, there's actually a quote that speaks to that uh, that's in this book and it's one that I'm going to share today someone who is really smart but devoted all of their time to becoming an expert in a narrow area may become a danger to themselves and others love that quote I'm constantly trying to diversify my strengths I know that we live in a world where there's a lot of people telling you to double down, triple down, quadruple down on your greatest strength. And, you know, for me, that's just not very inspiring. I don't want to be a one-trick pony. And I don't need to necessarily be amazing or the best at any one thing either. I I want to be good at a lot of things, and I want to understand the world and and its many layers. Uh, Let's go to the stock market. Boy, uh, everything ended. The stock market isn't opened yet here on a Monday morning, but everything closed about break-even. There wasn't one... You know, Dow was down, I think, uh, 0.15. S&P was up 0.05. Uh, NASDAQ, 0.32. So very, very close, uh, about break-even on everything. And Spotify is crushing. We talked about Spotify on Thursday, where they ended up closing over $200 for the first time. They closed 228 228, 14.25% up. So Spotify's absolutely crushing it right now. That's a big one to look at. I think that there's a lot of growth there. And last but not least on Bitcoin, 93.98, uh, it's down about a half a point. So not a lot of movement there though. Could be, we could start seeing Bitcoin trickle down a little bit. So with that said, let's jump straight to our next guest. We have Ryan Harris, standout at Notre Dame University. He is a Super Bowl 50 champion, wrote a book. He's going to talk about that in here. And, of course, right now uh, hosting his radio show on Altitude uh, does an amazing job over there. They've got a real great team, great company over there, and we're excited to have him on. So buckle up and get ready for Ryan Harris. Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. All right, Ryan, thanks for jumping on, man. How you doing? Spano, man, great to chat with you again, my friend, and 
love joining you and the DMVR crew always. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, really appreciate it. Well, it's been a couple crazy weeks, right? Uh, we thought it was really crazy. We thought that there was a lot of change going on in regards to the pandemic. But now we're seeing a wave of social change that I don't know if anyone ever saw coming, at least this abruptly and this fast. You know, I, I mean, no reason to, to not just jump right into it, right? I, this could potentially be the biggest social change, the biggest change, the biggest move towards equality that's ever happened in me and your lifetimes, right? Yes, 100%. And, and just the fact that everybody feels a responsibility, you know, I think, you know, and, and I believe we'll, we'll, we will continue, you know, beyond this to other, to other issues, but there's, uh, there's something to be said after every pandemic, there's been massive social change. And part of, I think with the, the, the killing of George Floyd, we didn't have rooftop patios, restaurants or thing, you know, practices to take our kids to. We, we all saw the video and we all saw how wrong it was. And we then see the pattern that we've worked beyond in the past. So not only is this a huge moment, but it's huge because everybody feels a responsibility. And I've had more amazing conversations in the last three weeks than I have my entire life. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's so true. It's so true. So what does, what do you think a post, I don't even know necessarily what to call this, but, but a, a, a po because we've had a, a Black Lives Matter movement, we've had protests, we've had, but nothing at this magnitude, but let's just say like, like when, when everything that this directly accomplishes is in the books and the world has changed, let's just say that's a year from now, what do you think the world looks like, at least in America? Our judicial system looks different. You know, uh, here in Denver, Beth McCann, she has the opportunity to not prosecute any non nonviolent crimes. And an example I bring up a lot, and I spoke with, you know, uh, Paul Pazin, the, the chief of police of Denver, and, and in his presentation to a group of us uh, at the Denver Metro, you know, earlier this year, he said hate crimes, you know, were 58%, had a 58% increase here in Denver. And in addition to the hate crimes, Beth McCann, the, the, the attorney, the, um, the leading attorney here in Denver, can choose to not prosecute nonviolent crimes. Crimes like if a kid gets caught with, you know, stolen credit cards at a grocery store with $380 worth of food, we're not going to spend $70,000 as taxpayers to send him to prison for two to six years. Two, 70000 by the way, being the two years. And we're starting to look at crime differently. In and, and, of, and the prison that he goes to is probably a privately funded judicial setup. We're the, yeah, we're the only, and fortunately here in Colorado, we've made a move to go away from that, right? But we, we are, we've criminalized addiction, criminalized homelessness, and criminalized being black for a long time in this country. And so when you ask me what looks different, I mean, even solving the judicial system uh, in our country to create less criminals, to, to not, you know, prosecute nonviolent crimes, to think differently. Colorado just passed a bill, I believe it's 1424 in the Colorado legislature that gives the governor the power to veto any marijuana conviction, you know, under two ounces in the past and expunge the record. I mean, these are the things we have to do because that prevents someone from getting a job, an apartment, you know, meeting the person of their dreams at that jobs charity event. And, and these are things that we can do, but also 
in our in our interactions in Spano, man, I was golfing the other day with my kids, you know, trying to guarantee contracts only in the Harris household, you know. <laughs> and for the first time in 25 plus years of golfing, I saw three groups, you know, all white men, and each of the groups, each of the people made an effort just to come over and say hello from the putting green, from the tee box. And, and those are the kinds of things in addition to systemic change, specifically immediately in the judicial system, that's what's going to carry us is, is seeing each other, saying hello, welcoming each other and having a high expectations, uh, high, ha- having higher expectations of each other than we do now. So I want to jump into something that has bugged me and, and plagued me and has been really tough. And, and I, I think once we kind of jump into this, I'll, I'll give you kind of an antidote that, that I've discovered. But in your opinion, what is the best way that we can get, and I want to even move away from minorities and people of color and strictly segment this directly to black people and say, how can we get more black people, I was going to say into sports media, but into media in general. And in sports media, we have black people, but you know, it seems like a very high percentage is ex-athletes. I think that, you know, one of the most frustrating things is that, and, and this is what I'm hoping that you can speak to, because I certainly can't, uh, and maybe it's, there's a discouragement somewhere in the entry point, but even the hiring pool, we don't have options. So uh, how do we change that? You know, it, it's funny when I hear that the Denver Nuggets found their star player in Serbia. Yeah, yeah, right. right. If the sure. Denver Nuggets to win a championship are willing to go to Serbia to find a guy who ends <laughs> up becoming Nikola Jokic, don't tell me we don't have a talent pool. You know, it's going to take new methods. And I've been on multiple conversations sure, with CEO sure. with white CEOs. And, and also part of, and I think in stating, you know, we have a small talent pool or, you know, things like that. I think it, it's been my experience that people, what they're really saying is, give me a method or two that I can use so that I, I can increase diversity hiring here, you know? Yeah, Denver, I, I, that's, a, that's super fair. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, and so again, it's not, you know, let's not argue about the talent pool. Let's talk about new methods. You know, one here in Denver, Invisibee is a company that, helps companies create new methods to, to attract a different workforce. And a lot of that has to do with training ourselves to be open to it. You know, I mean, there's, there are millions, there there are thousands of talented individuals in Denver, in Aurora, who, who, you know, who do not look like the corporate America that we've had in the past. And not only do we need this in production and hiring and teaching, but when you add when you add minorities to and you diversify your workforce, you gain on average 17% increase in new markets, right? I mean, you're going to gain a new perspective that allows you to market whatever the heck you're marketing to a wider range of people in a language that's more inclusive. That alone, whether it's hiring practices or not, is going to make a huge difference in the lives of not only people like me, but the children of people like me, my son, my daughter, and my youngest son. Yeah, you know, one of the biggest, I think for us, it's a little different because we're, uh, you know, I think most people have, and and now we've obviously grown to, you know, a fairly large company, but, you know, we were brand new, you know, five years ago, we launched this and we were a, cash strap startup. We had nothing for years. 
You know what happened that I've noticed, which is uh, one of the biggest systemic issues I see in startups, and I'll be interested to see, you know, what you think about this. But what I noticed when we started this company, Ryan, was that we had no money and we needed bright young people that could come in here and essentially work for free and, and, and help us build this. And if you do, then, then you get equity and you are in, you know, if it works out, we all win and, and you get to win big in the whole night. Now, what happens is you can guess who, what kids are able to come in and just work somewhere for free for a couple months or, or I mean, for a couple of years. Uh, and, yeah. and if not free, 500 bucks, thousand a month was like, I mean, that, that was like our pay scale was going up in those early years was to those levels. They're all essentially affluent white kids that have, you know, some sort of money or some sort of parents that can, that can kind of co-sign off on this while they're building their dreams. A lot of minorities flat out don't have that opportunity, have that option. A lot of inner city kids that are, you know, say even in, we don't even have to go down to, to poverty level. You just go to simply some guy who pay or some woman who paid herself through college and she just got out of Metro and she needs a job and she doesn't have people that can pay their bills. Uh, and they miss out on an opportunity like this. Whereas now we have a staff of people that are in a big company. They all own equity in it because they were able to work in it for free. And I look back at it and, and it's not that they didn't earn it, but the system, the systemic issue here, the, the way that this entire system was built, worked against people and there's you know people that could have been great probably in this situation that didn't get that opportunity because they weren't from the right parents they didn't they 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 they, they didn't win the lottery when they were born where you know yeah and and to your point just some numbers behind that you know an african-american earns 60 cents to every one dollar of you know that a, a white person does in terms of wealth African-Americans have only 10 cents to every $1 of white people. And African-Americans are twice as likely to live in poverty. And also, they're as likely to own a home as they were in the 60s with Richard Nixon as president. So there are factors here far beyond, you know, you and your startup at DNVR. Right, right, right. right, Sure. And and so part of it is knowing the information there. And and because really... It didn't matter how diverse DMVR was if it failed, right? I mean, it's right. like, that's, right. that's, that's not right. that, you know, and, and in the future though, well, what can you do? Well, maybe you can seek investors who are African-Americans. There's plenty of African-American investors right here yep, yep. in Denver, let alone abroad. You know, Robert Smith is a billionaire from Denver, a black billionaire. And, you know, it, in starting up, had I talked to you then, I'd be like, Hey, why don't you reach out to Robert Smith and see if he wants to be a part of a, a Denver sports, you know, uh, company that's all digital and embracing the digital trends. Hmm. You know, those are things you looking back on could do, but what about now? Okay. Well, whatever you, whatever you do forward, you know, I encourage everyone have at least three minority candidates in the final, in the final pickings, right? Cause three, and I got this from, from Jim Rooney, son of Dan Rooney, right. Who created the Rooney rule. And, and Jim said, our championships came from diversifying. We were the first team to go into historically black colleges and draft players like Mean Joe Green, right? So one of the things they do is they make sure that there's all there are all always three minority candidates in their final in their final you know group of people because he said that three makes it normal, right? You get one person, okay, that's one, but two now it's all of a sudden when you get three people, your job for VP of communications or VP of sales 
it takes on a different, there's a different expectation for you, you and your staff, even in seeing it. I mean, we've all done it. We had somebody we didn't hire, but really liked and maybe down the road or a friend has another company that they're doing, place them in that. And, and in that way you can start to make a change. And, and hopefully one of those three are going to be, you know, uh, a great match. We also have to remember, I mean, we're talking, but the only reason why I'm talk I'm able to talk to you right now is because not only did I go to Notre Dame, not only did I graduate with two degrees in three and a half years, I, I played 10 years in the NFL and won a Super Bowl. I'm a unicorn, man. I am Django right. walking right, the streets right. of Denver. And that's what I got to do to be on your podcast. You know, I mean, that's just what me, this black man has to do. So if you're going to interview a black male or woman, or a Latino male or woman for any role, you're getting the absolute bad. We don't, you don't think we don't know the stakes, right? I mean, we know walking into an all white office, like I am at, at Altitude Sports, a company I love, right? And Altitude Radio, I know walking in that I'm, I'm going to perform at a high level. It depends more than just my job. I'm changing expectations with my presence. I love that. I love that. I actually recorded a pod on Thursday and it was essentially the, the, the pod title. It comes out tomorrow. It was, for those that are listening, we're recording this on Thursday. So I was trying to pull a fast one. I recorded this earlier today for tomorrow's uh, show. But it's, it's uh, immigrant energy. And I pretty much talk about that specifically. And I grew up with in an Italian North Denver family, second generation. And uh, I just talk about this. This kind of, uh, you know, my grandpa lived in the house he was born in. My uncle lived next door in the house since he was 14 kind of a thing. And just this, every opportunity is big, dressed to impress this yeah. kind of, this kind of so opposite you know of old yeah. money thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so that really speaks to me. Absolutely. I want to switch gears a little bit and just go into the NFL. And Vic Fangio was on the hot seat a couple of weeks ago because he said, that uh, there was no, you know, there was no racism in the NFL. And to me, when I heard that, I, I heard an old guy that's been in the NFL a long time that loves football. That's his life. And he's sticking up for the sport he loves. And it obviously rubbed players the wrong way. And especially if you've negotiated a contract or you've seen something that you felt was, in, you know, inherently racist, you know, this guy was, was nullifying your feelings. And so we saw people speak out. He obviously came back right away and had to back off of that and, and apologize. But how did you feel about that? And, and what did you think he meant? Or, or did he say exactly what he meant? Like, what was your perception of it, seeing it? Yeah, you know, and, and I haven't talked to Vic Fangio about it, you know, him and I. But I can tell you, I understood what he was saying. I mean, this is a guy who, when he became, when he became the head coach of the Broncos, talked about how he was wearing his only pair of khakis and I was there at the introductory press conference and he had safety pins underneath it because that's what was holding up his pants like I hadn't seen that outside of a movie right this is a guy who's already said I'm in the football business not the business of football so in Vic Fangio's world where he's often a minority in defensive meetings and in any kind of team meeting in the NFL right being a white male yeah, racism doesn't exist in his immediate world. He's never right. released a player or benched a player in the NFL because they're black. You know, that's not – you're in a performance-based business. And third and 12, a first down matters more than what religion or color or creed you came from. And it's also a moment that a lot of people are in Vic Fangio's position of, hey, racism isn't in my life. You know, Brandon, I've known you for, you know, a couple of years now, and never have you been racist to me. 
you know? And so I think, so I, I see where he was coming from and where many people come from of, well, I don't practice racism in my life. And at the same time, this is the moment where we have to go beyond our own lives and enter into the real world, the world that I live in every day when I step off of, you know, the broadcast or I'm going traveling to Notre Dame or when I was with the Steelers traveling back and being in first class three out of five times, someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, excuse me, this is for the first class. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I bought right. the ticket, you know. Right, right, right. Um, and, and, we've, and we've got to look beyond that. And so Vic Fangio did and spoke with his players, and there's going to be learning for him. So we can't give up on people in the first quarter, whether yeah, it's Vic that. Fangio, Drew Brees. We need everybody to win, and that's how we do it in the NFL, and that's how we've done it in America in the past and how we're going to have to do it in the future. How have you seen media change since you entered, and what do you think the runway looks like, you know, for for the business in general? You know, I think media's. I, I've known for some years, as you have, that media is going digital. Ninety percent of content is consumed on a mobile device, right? So, if you're not in, the, if you're in the audio business and you're not on a podcast or you're not, you know, accessible by phone, you're dead. You're dead in the water. If you're not communicating your message through content, you're dead in the water. So that's the really first big change, digital. And I think this coronavirus has accelerated that. I mean, I think we had 3% of people able to run a Zoom meeting, and now 95% of people do, and we've got yeah. backgrounds and all that, right? So that's just one small example. But, you know, even from the words of ESPN's, you know, vice president, he said, listen, I've got all the data in the world that when people come to sports, they don't want to talk about politics. They want to talk about, you know, social issues. And that's changed. Because whether it's ESPN, DNVR, Altitude Sports, there's no ignoring the fact that whether they're employees or players, that we have to talk about the different life that's forced upon people who have different skin colors, and we're going to talk about this. And this kind of courage has never been seen. And so we will continue to see this courage. We will continue to see demonstrations until we find, until we solve the problem of first judicial racism in the system of, of our judicial system and then as well in our personal lives yeah i agree you know for us personally we've always separated politics uh at dnvr and we've always been very hard on that um with people and say hey listen we're the fun guys you know people have even called us the uh you know like the the fun uh, the fun i don't even know like the fun nazis or i i forgot the exact term but something is essentially extremist in the sense that uh, no matter what we're just sitting there waving the fun fun flag being nice to everybody and we really try to make this a place that is that is about that that everybody can come in and listen and be a part of that community this particular time in history you know, I felt personally, and I think the rest of the team felt, wasn't a political, you know, this wasn't a Democrat-Republican thing. This was a human thing. This was about, like, some of our people in our community. We have, you know, black people that come to our watch parties wearing DNVR gear, and, like, we're not going to sit here and not say anything for our own people, you know? And so, it was such a human thing this time, and I think that that was the different, Ryan. I think that yeah, I think that going forward, people still don't necessarily want some sort of partisan politics, but this was so far beyond that. This was about human rights and people weren't just going to sit around and, you know, not stand up for other human beings. And, 
especially, you know, when this is going to be a really historic moment, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history here. You know what, you know, when this is looked back at, like, man, wouldn't that suck if, and, and this wouldn't be in your case, but, you know, I, I sure would hate it if I looked back and found out that during the civil rights movement that, like, my grandpa, you know, wasn't a part of the right side of that or something, you yeah. know? Well, especially when we're talking about, like you mentioned, the human piece, right? I mean, yeah. and, and also there's there's a very real point right now that ignoring the problem hasn't made it go away. That's right. Right? That's Assuming right. that the work's going to get done after Philando Castile, after the death of Trayvon Martin, which I've never been the same since, oh. after, since after his murder. The Trayvon but, one was, the, yeah. That, I mean, you I, know, I mean, I was that kid, Trayvon Martin, coming back from, you know, in, in, in Minnesota, we got Super Americas, you know. I was coming back Super Americas with a Snicker bar and a 44-ounce soda, and you know what? If you rolled up on me and I was, you know, in the complex of my, my parents, like, yeah, I'm, I'm fighting back. I don't know you, you know. Right, and, right, right. And then you die, not only do you die from it, you auction the gun you did it oh. with, you get off, oh. you sign Skittle bags. I mean, oh. you know, so, so I think we've, you know, we've realized as, as, a, as Americans, we the people have realized inaction has not led to, you know, the, the, the freedom and the decency that we expect, not just of police officers, but uh, of everybody. And so now, okay, we, let's address this so we don't have to again. It's kind of like a prenuptial agreement, you know? A lot of people are against that. That's great, but it's a wealth management tool. And let me tell you, what my kids are going to inherit, they're, they're, the people they're going to marry are, are going to sign a prenup. And guess what? If life is good and you love each other, you never have to talk about it again. You know. <laughs> and we're kind of at that moment of like, let's address this. Let's get through it. Let's find the systems where we I gotta need to make sh- I got to make sure my fiance listens to this episode. Hey, dog. hey man, you know, my, my uncle told me I had a dollar to my name, but I made her sign a prenup, you know. And, yeah. But it's but it's that, that notion that, you know, those of us who are married and you'll be here soon, you can you can choose to skip some small conversations that turn into big problems. And, and at sure. that point, you really would have you really wished you would have had those conversations then. Well, now we're at a big problem point and we know that not talking about it not admitting where each individual has a responsibility, not, you know, admitting that we need to learn more. That's what's going to help us put this in the rear view for the first time in our nation's history. Okay. Let's go to this. uh, Let's go to this little speed round here. I'm going to ask you three questions. I ask everybody and then we'll get you out of here. So let's go. Number one, what is your most important book? Man, you know, uh, I respect everybody's religious books. And, and so I always go past that. Right. But I'll tell you, I think I recommended this to you. And one of the things I love about you is we do talk books, man, you know, and Dr. Espinoza, his book was incredible that you recommended, but this one book I'm about to tell you has changed my life in every way, in every aspect, in okay. every relationship. And the book is called never split the difference by oh, Chris Voss. I, I read that. Yeah. You, you actually recommended that. And I read that. And it's a book by an FBI agent who led negotiations for years. And whether we're talking to our children, our spouses, our parents, uh, negotiating in business, this is the absolute most impactful book that I've ever read. Yeah, it really is. I think that uh, that's actually a great pick. And I'm really glad that you recommended that to me last year. I read that because, you know, uh, I think that negotiation has a, a derogatory feeling around it because people think you're taking advantage, but really there's a piece of just understanding how to communicate. Yes. Uh, and, and, and that's such a crucial piece when it comes down to the, all of that. So great choice. The most underrated athlete of all time. 
You know, it's tough. It's tough to say, you know, because there's so many. I mean, there's a sense in my mind that Deion Sanders is underrated. I mean, doing what he did in baseball, you know, um, things like that. You know, uh, I gotta say, man, I've played. I played with him in high school. But Joe Maurer, catcher for the Twins. I mean, this kid was still. This guy's still one of the. I tell him when I talk to him. Still one of the best quarterbacks I ever played with. And I played with Hall of Famers, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, um, Peyton Manning, you know, and, and, and other great quarterbacks, Kyle Orton, you know, uh, Tim Tebow and, and Matt Schaub and others. But I'll tell you, man, Joe Maurer is still one of the best quarterbacks I ever played with. They li- we lined up one time in practice and he kicked off and kicked a 65-yard kickoff. And we're just like, stop it, man. You're, you're yeah, going to be yeah. the number one pick in the draft and – for baseball and you're also getting scholarship offers in North Carolina for basketball. And then you're just going to come and take the kicker's job. It's the only thing you can do. Leave him alone, you know, but Joe Maurer, the most underrated athlete in my opinion. That's a great pick. Uh, Really great player. What space or business are you most excited about in the near future? Tech, tech in the future. If you're not in the tech game some way, somehow, whether that's digital marketing, digital media, digital storytelling, back-end systems, front-end systems, you are, you are going to be behind the curve. And so for me, you know, I'm learning coding right now, uh, and it's an nice. interesting aspect. And just to be aware of the conversation and the language, that's, that's re- literally building our future and at our fingertips even as we speak. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is crazy how fast uh, everything changes. Um, there's technologies right now that are being developed that, you know, people think that within 10 years, me and you could have a conversation without speaking to each other, you yeah. know, just, just communicating with our thoughts. Uh, yeah. so, so there's all kinds of weird stuff. Demolition man style. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Well, Hey man, I really appreciate you jumping on. Can you let everybody know if they're not uh, familiar with where to get you digitally, especially if they don't live in the market or, Maybe there are more podcasts than radio. I know all of your guys' stuff on podcasts. Where can we find you? Yeah, well, thank you, Brandon, for having me on. I love what you guys at DMVR Thanks, are doing. Man. I think you're, you're really – you've got talented people uh, on the cutting edge, and I, and I love the, everything from the videos, the tweets, the podcasts. So thanks for having me. And uh, if you want to, you know, follow me in the future, it's uh, my website's ryanharris68.com. I'm on Instagram, uh, at ryanharris underscore 68. Uh, and you can also buy my book on Amazon, Matt Mindset for Mastery. Oh, man, bestseller. we didn't talk about the book? Oh, hey, man, man drop the ball, There are more man. important things than some extra toilet paper, man. In the Corona Rona, <laughs> you can buy uh, buy my book, and things get tight, you can use it as toilet paper. Are you going to read your book and put it on Amazon? you going to do a, vo- a voiceover? you going to do an uh, audible? We, audible? I had somebody else do it, you know, in the book writing process. Oh, I probably it, read it seven times. Oh, is it yeah, in audible? On audible. Yeah, oh, it is? On audible. Oh, my and, God. Uh, Dude, how yeah. did you, how come you have not, you don't, man, you do not market it enough, man. You got to Hey, you know, you it was a bestseller, thing. so, oh, you know, it's just another I'm, arrow I'm, in the quiver. Uh, oh, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. I'll get uh, you a signed copy. I know a guy. <laughs> hey, I'm definitely going to listen to that. I'm definitely going to listen to that. Uh, you know who did a really good job on their book is Devin still. Yeah. Um, and he read his book too. And it, it was so real, man. It was and his, his story is obviously extremely traumatic, but it was so real. It was awesome. But yeah, man, I can't wait. What's the, what's the book title again? Mindset for Mastery. It's available on Amazon.com. Mindset for Mastery. Boom. I, you know, I do a book quote at the beginning of every podcast for the current book that I'm reading. 
And nice. uh, I'm on the four agreements right now. Really small book. Really good. Yeah. But uh, I'm going to, that'll be on there. People will be hearing me doing uh, Ryan Harris quotes. And also you thank you for the frame connect. Yeah. Frames He's doing art, man. Yeah. Frame the art. He's doing, uh, I have him doing seven frames for the bar. I right? got seven different. They're the jerseys. best. They got, they did all my jerseys. They did my Super Bowl encasing with the game worn Jersey. And I was actually worried that, uh, I was like, oh, Broncos ex Bronco player, uh, recommended this guy's going to be thinking that, you know, made him a, you know, made him money or, and it was a great deal. He hooked it up and yeah. they do an incredible job and a really great deal. Yeah, they've, they've done all the jerseys in the best spots. They're, frame they're the frame they art on Broadway. You got a little free publicity. They didn't have to pay for it. There you this. go. There hey, you go. thanks, brother. I really appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks so much. Really, you know, a great community leader here and look forward to talking to you and seeing you soon, man. Thanks for having the conversation, man. Can't wait to see you, brother. All right. See you later. Peace. I'm all the way up.